Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal worship service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to confession is Proverbs 26, verse 3. And here we see another characteristic of fools. They require harsh correction. Proverbs 26, verse 3. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the fool's back. Whips and bridles make horses and donkeys go where they otherwise will not go. And likewise, the rod beats the fool into submission. Now, we don't see the literal application of this verse very often these days in America. In our civilized, or what some might call soft and overly litigious society, I think the police or OSHA might have a thing or two to say about beating people with rods. Nevertheless, Solomon's Israel and many other cultures have seen the literal application of this proverb. The whip, the bridle, and the rod are all instruments of force. And while most of us aren't using horses or donkeys, or beating fools anymore, there is still an absolutely necessary principle of wisdom to be gleaned from this passage. Folly brings on harsh correction. And there's a corollary to this. Folly brings on harsh correction, and the corollary is this. Harsh correction is appropriate for fools and their folly. Now there's something to clarify here, and there's something that we can often get wrong. So let's first talk about the clarification. The ruler is... I'm sorry. This is not an exhortation to start being harsh. So that's your clarification. This is not an exhortation to go start swinging rods at fools. The given in the proverb is that the fool, being disciplined, is a fool. By definition, that's what his title is. Wise men and women, mothers and fathers, teachers, rulers, leaders, and kings teach, instruct, and lead with mercy and grace. They extend forgiveness, and they love those who are under them. The problem with fools is that they won't be led with this kind of gracious guidance. Faithful harsh discipline is not unloving, and love is not soft. The reason a fool receives the rod is because the ruler is called to establish justice and righteousness. A fool's laziness is unjust to his family and his neighbors. It needs harsh correction. A fool's lies can undermine justice and peace in his community. They deserve harsh correction. A fool's wrath and squabbles and fights can cause great harm to his neighbors. They also deserve harsh correction for the sake of peace and justice. 
So that's our clarification. And this principle is true. Folly requires harsh correction. But now let's cover how we get this wrong. Practicing discipline is hard. We don't like to inflict pain, and we don't like to see others hurt. And at least we shouldn't. We, should, we ought not to delight in the pain of others. But refusal to treat fools the way they deserve amounts to disobedience to God's word. If you allow fools to run free without consequences, you get more of what you subsidize. This is the great evil of our welfare state. In claiming to show mercy and kindness to those less fortunate, our government actually entrenches folly and rewards it. This is evident in the criminal justice system, in the abortion mills, in the welfare programs, in the public school system, and more and more in our health care system. However, when our leaders decide to play the fool, when our leaders decide to disobey God's word and lead our society down a path of folly, God's principle remains true. Fools require harsh punishment. The harsh corruption will inevitably fall. But instead of falling on specific wickedness in specific men, justice, it will fall on our corporate folly. And we will all bear the rod of God's wrath on our backs. And that's still justice. If we will not carry out justice and righteousness through self-discipline, then God will carry it out on our behalf by disciplining us. A rod for the back of the This reminds us of our need to confess our sins. day. We thank you for your word, and we pray that you will open it up to our hearts and our souls and our spirits this morning. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be here in our midst. We ask that you would fill us with revelation and understanding and truth and light. Give life to our bones. Fill us with a will to do your will to walk in the ways that you make clear to us. Help us to honor your name and magnify you and be faithful bearers of your name, faithful witnesses that you are Lord and that Jesus is King of Kings. Father, we pray that you'll bless this message now and allow us to hear it with graceful hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So our text this morning is James, chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. And James is bringing us into the second of three warnings against self-deception. Back in verse 16, he was, he was speaking about temptation. And James, in his first warning, warned us not to be deceived. God is not a tempter. It is our own desires that tempt us and give birth to sin. So we are not to be deceived about this because James affirms for us that God is good. He doesn't do that. Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. Verse 17. 
The first line of defense against self-deception is believing and receiving truth, which is derived from the Word. Verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the Word of truth. So that's the first exhortation, to not be deceived. Believe the truth, that God is good. Our text today is a second warning against self-deception, and it's about putting truth that we receive into practice. Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now a a hypocrite convinces himself that he has heard. He convinces himself that he knows the truth. He says to himself, "I'm I'm, I'm a good guy. But he is not what he thinks he is. And the evidence is in the fruit. What what actually happens on the ground? What does he do? And so the second line of defense against self-deception is to remember the word and to be fruitful in faith. Verse 25. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the word, This one will be blessed in what he does. And then the third warning against self-deception is about those who waste their time and everybody else's time. They talk a good game, but it never touches the ground. Verse 26. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. And we'll get into the antidote for that next week. Now, as I mentioned last week, this is the beginning of the fleshing out of the three commands that James gave us in verse 19. So this is the fleshing out of, let every man be swift to hear. And verse 21, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Swift to hear that word that is life. And he's fleshing that out. He's going to be doing this uh, through the rest of chapter 1. And, and through, through chapter 2. And what we see first is that being swift to hear is more than just listening to the Word. It's more than just reading your Bible. It's letting the Word soak into your bones and come out of your fingertips. It's letting it take root. It's, it's a plant. God's Word is intended to be planted in our souls in order for it to bear fruit. But fruit is evident in what you do with it. It actually, the fruit is the effect of the Word. And God's Word changes us. It changes how we react to trials. We we have a fundamental difference in, in how we see the world. Because we're now looking at it through the eyes of grace. Through the eyes of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God has called us to faithfulness and humility and confession of our sins and given to us the free forgiveness of those sins and told us, look, now go walk. Go walk in Jesus' footsteps. Go be like Jesus. So we are changed, and this changes how we react to trials. It changes what we do with our lives. Our lives ought to be very different from before we take Christ into our hearts to after we take Christ into our hearts. So let's dive into this teaching on self-deception. 
Verse 22. James 1, verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. The first thing we have to observe here is that just James is simple. He's to the point. He doesn't beat around the bush. He defines his terms clearly. It's not hard to make heads or tails of this. It's not hard to make sense of what he's talking about. He remains faithful to his moniker that Jesus gave him. He's one of the sons of thunder. He's going to say it how it is. So coming immediately from verse 21 where he says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Coming immediately from that, James identifies the tendency of our wicked hearts to make hay. The tendency of our wicked hearts to not do what he just told us to do. John Calvin famously identified our fallen hearts as idol factories. He said that our hearts are are perpetual idol factories. We can take God's word and turn it into an idol. We can take a, a good gift and turn it into an idol. We can take any situation and find an idol in, in our in our fallen state, in our sinful hearts. In our fallen hearts, that's what we do because we are in rebellion against God. And James here immediately jumps to the hypocrisy that we are prone toward in our natural man. He's speaking to Christians, remember? And he says, look, receive the implanted word, but don't just hear it, do it. So as soon as we hear, be swift to hear and receive the word, we we tell ourselves and others, oh, we've heard it. Uh, We've received it, we know it, and therefore we are good, by definition. We've heard it, and that's good enough. How often do you hear people make excuses for themselves? Well, I'm a good person. I try to be nice to people. I try to do what's right. I'm good, man. Just chill out. I'm good. And this happens in the context of absolutely nothing changing in their life. Nothing, absolutely zero happening on the ground. As if Hearing and assenting in and of themselves was sufficient to save your souls. But James says, receive the implanted word. Receive the implanted word. And James cuts through that hogwash with a knife. And he says, it doesn't get any simpler than this. Doers, not hearers only. Doers, not hearers only, because that is self-deception. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And then he goes on to make his point with an example of a man who looks into a mirror. Verses 23 and 24. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Here we have to make some important observations about this metaphor that James uses to use to to explain this doer 
not a hearer, uh, not a hearer only. Um, and, and, and this is an invitation to make some connections about hearing and doing and the word. The purpose of a mirror is to reflect. The purpose of a mirror is to enable self-evaluation. That's what a mirror is for. We look into a mirror to see how our hair looks and if our tie is good and straight, if we have any blemishes on our skin or to uh, or bags under our eyes or wrinkles. That's what a mirror is for, is to be able to see what we look like, to see what the rest of the world sees when they look at us. Uh, the, the mirror gives us a different and a much clearer self-perception. So we're bringing clarity to a situation rather than confusion or self-deception. You look in the mirror and say, that's what I look like. That, that's what my face looks like. Well, that's what she was talking about when she said, I have bed head. That, the mirror gives us a much clearer self-perception. And whoever looks into a mirror and sees something that needs addressed, that his hair's a mess, or that there's a piece of uh, toilet paper stuck to his shoe, he's looking at a full-length mirror, um, or that she forgot to put on some of her makeup, or whatever it is, when, when somebody sees something like that and then walks away and forgets about it, they're entirely missing the point of what the mirror is for. That's the purpose of the mirror, to show those things to you so you can fix them, so you can look good, so that you can have a good presentation to the world. Now, in the analogy, in the metaphor, the word of truth is the mirror. God's word is the mirror that we are called to look into. And just like a mirror reveals our imperfections, the purpose of the word is to illuminate our soul's imperfections, our heart's imperfections, where it is that we need to be fixing our lives, the way we think about the world, the way we see the world, the way we interact with the world, the what, what we do. The God's word tells us, look, you're missing the target here. You're off base. That's wrong. That's a sin. Confess it, repent of it, and change. Turn. Go the other way. In the Word, we see truth and we learn who it is that God is, and through the light of God, we, we are, it is revealed to us who it is that we are. He defines our identity. He tells us, this is what you are. This is who you are before me. And so we learn how God sees us, and what it is that we are supposed to do. Revelation comes from God's Word. Truth. Information. Is you look into that mirror, and then you know what it is you're supposed to do. And James goes there immediately. He makes it plain for us in verse 25. He doesn't, again, he doesn't beat around the bush. So he says, uh, we'll start at verse 23. For anyone, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, but he, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. 
Okay, so if you don't remember, if you don't do what God's word says to do, that's what you're like. You forgot what you looked like. You walked out and you forgot your pants. You walked out and you had smudges all over your face. You had different colored shoes on. You messed up. You're embarrassed. That's what you are if you don't do what you hear. But in verse 25, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So here the word is equated to the law. The word is the mirror. God's law is the mirror. He who looks into the perfect law of liberty, the perfect law of freedom. James is a big fan of the law. He never says anything negative about the law. And that's why some people have posited that he's, he's, he's arguing against Paul. That's not true. He's kind of, he came before Paul. He's, coming, he's speaking into a Jewish context where the law is held at a high standard and everybody wants to achieve it. The problem is the hypocrites say they do, but they don't. And that's what he's preaching against here. The, 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 God's law is a mirror. God's law is the standard. He equates the law to the work of Christ, and that's why he holds the law so highly. Jesus himself teaches us that he came to fulfill all the law and the prophets in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus also teaches the main point of our text in the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, starting at verse, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we ha have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will de declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now they obviously heard that Jesus was Lord, but they practiced lawlessness. And then flowing right from that into verses 24 through 27, we have the parable of the wise and the foolish builders. Matthew 7, verse 24. Therefore, whoever see, hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain comes, and the flood comes, the wind blows, and that house does not fall because it's founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain comes and the floods comes, the wind blows and beat on the house, and it fell and great was its fall. That's the point. Listen to what Jesus says. Do what Jesus says. What is this word that James speaks of? What is this perfect law of liberty? Well, in Matthew 7, verse 24, Jesus says, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. So what Jesus said is the word. And Peter aptly points out in the sermon to, to Cornelius uh, and the Gentiles in his household what that word is. 
This is the first time the gospel is proclaimed to Gentiles. And the Spirit, Peter just gets started, and the Spirit just, bam, fills those Gentiles up. And Peter's like, well, now we have to baptize them. They have the Spirit. But, listen to his sermon. It's short. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. That's very interesting, because immediately next, that's where James goes. He starts talking about partiality, the rich and the poor. Immediately next. But, so, in, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. And, and Peter's talking about the gospel coming to Gentiles. God's not showing partiality to Jews and Gentiles. He's, he's, he's put all one in Christ. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Fears him and works righteousness. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. There's the word. There's the law of freedom. He is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that. Get this. This is the word. This is what we are commanded to preach to the world, that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. That's familiar. That was our assurance of pardon this morning. Believing on Jesus is the law of freedom. Believing in his word sets us free from sin. Doing what he tells us to do makes us his children. It's proof that we love him. So God's law is the word. It's the mirror. Another necessary, necessary element to identifying the word is recognizing its implications. Is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. Verse 25. Remembering the word is being a not forgetful hearer, remembering the word is identical with keeping the law. James, the apostle's brother John, the other apostle, tells us that Jesus said, whoever loves me will keep my commandments. That's what Jesus said. John 14, verse 15. And in that same vein, James tells us here that what we must do, what Jesus says, do what he says. But this invites kickback. It's hard when you hear somebody tell you to do what Jesus says when you're encountering trials. 
Do what Jesus says. You've probably heard or may have thought or said, so what? What then? Am I just a punching bag? Is that what God wants for me? Why do I have all these hardships? Why do I have all these trials? Why is this so hard on me? What if I just don't want this trial, this blessing that I'm supposed to count joy? Do the work, is what James tells you. Obey. But he heads off that attitude with a declaration of truth in verse 25. This one will be blessed in what he does. Doing the work brings blessedness, happiness. You're not just a punching bag. God's got your back. Have faith, trust him, and do what's right, even though it's hard. But if you do what the Bible says to, if you do what Jesus said to, says to, God promises to bless your doing of it. This one will be blessed in what he does. And entering into the work that God has for you, you enter into the blessing of the life of God. The implanted word bears fruit in you, and God has a reward for faithfulness. Remember the Sermon on the Mount and the contrast between the hypocrite and the faithful who give alms, who pray, and who fast. Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrite who does this. Do it this way. Don't be like the hypocrite who does that. Do it this way. Because the hypocrite is self-deceived thinking that he has accomplished the will of God. Look how good I am. Look how great my prayer is on the corner of the street. Everybody can see. And Jesus calls it out for what it is, and he says he's praying for the praise of men. He's giving alms for the praise of men. He's fasting, making himself look like he's fasting for the praise of men, not for God. But the truly humble and penitent believer is promised a reward that cannot perish. Jesus tells us that what God sees in secret, he rewards openly. He gives us a treasure that, that can't be stolen or, or tarnished. It can't, be, it, can't, it can't rot or go away. So what do we do with this? How do we apply these truths, these principles to our lives? Well, the first thing we need to do is we need to, to look in the mirror. We need to dive into God's Word. We need to be swift to hear. And when we do so, do it with intentionality, with intent. Use God's Word as it was meant to be used. Look to Jesus. Look at God. And then see God's perfection and his super high standards that you can never achieve. And identify your sins for what they are. Let, let God define truth. Let God define righteousness and justice. 
Your sins are the cause for the murder of Jesus Christ. That's what your sins look like. Him, bloodied and battered and beaten and hanging until he dies on a cross for you. That's what your sin does. Turn from it. Go away from it. Turn from that and look to Jesus. When you see him, see yourself as you are. Because Jesus is always the standard. He's the true man, the perfect man. He's the standard of holiness. He's the standard of perfection. Hypocrites love to go around making comparisons, not to Jesus, to other people. But look how much better I am than that guy. (laughs) He's bad. You know, that's what hypocrites do. Remember the the parable of the, uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector. God, I thank you that I am not as this tax collector. But I tithe everything. I am good, and I go to church, and I have a good reputation. No, it's the penitent tax collector who says, Woe is me. Woe is me. I'm undone. My sin crushes me. Have mercy on me, O God. And Jesus tells us that he came to save that which was lost. He came to heal those who were sick. He came to raise those who were dead. Every one of us stands at a judgment seat. But the judgment seat is God's judgment seat. It's not what the world sees. It's not the culture or your particular community. You stand before God. You answer to him and no one else. So dive into his word. Understand what it is that he's looking for from you. Two, don't deceive yourselves. When you dive into his word, don't deceive yourselves. Humble yourself before God. Come to his word with a deep knowledge of your need. Come hungry. Feed on him. Cast off the filthiness and overflow of wickedness, as James would say. Turn away from that. Open your ears, open your eyes, open your hearts to the Word, and then purpose in your heart to do what you find it telling you to do. Now the key to this, the key to not deceiving yourselves, is to be brutally honest. Between you and God, there's no veil. You can't hide what you're doing from Him. And if, if you want to be smart, you better not try and hide from yourself what you're doing. Be brutally honest with yourself. Don't judge yourself based on your intentions. Because we've all got good intentions. Let me tell you. Don't judge yourself based on what you meant to say or what you meant to do. Judge based on the fruit. Judge based on the outcome. Judge based on God's word. And look at look at your life clearly and say, Oh, that's not so pretty. That's not so good. Perfect love casts out fear. 
James tells us that the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And Paul gives us several lists of different kinds of competing fruits. Look at the word. Compare your life to those lists. If you see discord and strife and bitterness and hurtful words in your vicinity, then judge. That's what you're supposed to judge. That's fruit. You'll know them by their fruits, Jesus tells us. Is that, is that what you're bringing to the picture? Is that what you're causing? It, or are you bringing the antidote? Are you being like Christ? Are you bringing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and the list goes on? Who are you? What are you? Which are you? Don't deceive yourselves. And then apply it into various angles or areas of your life. Go to God's Word. Ask what it says about finances. Ask what it says about work ethic. Ask what it says about marriage and raising children. And then confess your sin. Repent of it. Turn from it. Pray for God's Word to bring light and revelation to what you are and what your life is. So dive into the Word. Be honest. Don't deceive yourselves. And finally, do it. Do the Word. Do the work of the Word. When God gives us His Word, it's work. It's a command. Jesus is the example. He was perfect and holy, and yet He entered into the work of our salvation. He entered into our lives. He sacrificed his own life for us. He bears our sins and our griefs. He bears them to the cross and he deals with them. And he commands us to imitate him in perfect love and sacrifice. So follow Jesus' example. Walk in faithful humility and do what you know God is calling you to do. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you will instill your spirit in our hearts and plant that word in our souls. Water it. Cause the sun to shine on it. May it grow. May it be fruitful. May it bear rich and full fruit. Help us to confess and turn from our sins. Help us to identify and recognize and love your truth. Help us to declare your gospel to the world. Father, keep us from self-deception. Keep us from arrogance. Keep us from pride. Give us strength to do what you're calling us to do. Bless us as we seek to walk in your ways. Father, we now close in the Take the bread, take the wine, eat it, and drink it, 
And remember that God has planted His Word in your soul. You are commanded to bear witness of Him. You are commanded to believe and confess that Jesus is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. And as Peter said, it is He who is ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. And also take heart. This is a blessed state of being. It is life and hope and joy that overwhelms all things that stand in its way. The love of God manifested toward you. This table is for all baptized believers under the authority of Christ and His body, the church. When you eat and drink this bread and wine, you acknowledge that you are a sinner without hope except in the sovereign mercy of God and that you trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Christ's body, broken for us. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.